0: Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast, where you will find the inspiration and
1: motivation you need to manage your money better so you can stress less and live.
0: I'm Ashley Patrick with Budgets Made Easy and the Money Mindset Podcast. Today we are talking to Sean Mullaney. He is a tax-focused financial planner and he helps individuals and small businesses with financial planning, tax strategies, and tax return preparation. And today we are going to talk with him about preparing for your taxes so that you can lower your tax bill. Now, it may be a little too late to lower your tax bill for this year, but these are some helpful tips in planning for next year. So if you're getting a big tax refund, there's even some tips in here with what to do with the money to lower your tax bill for next year. Now, as a disclaimer, you know, the discussion we have is not intended to be financial tax or investment advice for any particular individual. You should consult with your own advisor regarding your specific Situation, but of course he's got lots of different ideas and helpful tips to kind of help you uh, lower your tax burden for the coming year and possibly years down the road. So before we jump in, I do want to mention that the seven-day budget challenge will be changing. I plan to change it by the end of this month. So this is airing in January of 2020. And right now the budget challenge is a pay what you want challenge minimum of $5. So I am going to be changing that I'm going to be turning it into a mini course and the price will be going up. Now I may have another budget challenge where I shorten it. um, But you know, for those of you who have taken the budget challenge, you know it's, um, pretty detailed videos, step-by-step videos on how to do everything. So I am going to be adding to that and increasing the price probably in by, you know, next month. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check that out. You know, if you've been waiting, you know, people on average that do the seven day budget challenge save almost $500 every single month. I think the math is like $493 on average, whenever I take out the average. So almost $500. Five hundred dollars a month just by doing their budget and then there's lots of helpful tips uh, Facebook group and everything like that so if you have waited to jump on the budget challenge if you are overwhelmed and you just really don't know where to start this is where you start. This is where you start to save money. It's where you start to pay off debt. It's where you start to build long term wealth. It all starts with your budget. It's the foundation. If you hate the B word, you know, call it a cash flow plan. You know, call it uh, whatever you want. <laughs> That'll get you to motivate you to actually do it. So, you know, if you just really hate the word budget, think of another word. Uh, you know, a lot of people call it a cash flow plan, which, you know, is what it is. So go ahead and check that out at budgetsmadeeasy.com budget dash challenge. And now we will jump into Sean's interview. Hi, Sean. Thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: And I am so excited, you know, it's it's beginning the new year and tax time and you know, you focus on taxes. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about uh ways that people can prepare for taxes or maybe even, you know, next year things that they can do throughout the year to kind of get ready for tax season because, you know, it's coming whether you like it or not. You got to pay your taxes, so it's better to be prepared than surprised come tax time, right?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, Ashley. You know, I think there are two things people should think about, right? One is every year you must file a federal income tax return. And in most states, you're gonna to have to file a state income tax return too. And that's an important exercise, right? The IRS is a high priority creditor. So you don't wanna be on the wrong side of the IRS and you mm-hmm. wanna be current in your filing obligations. But even more important, I think is the long-term planning that I think some t- sometimes people get lost. You know, They say, oh, I've got this tax return. Got to make sure it's prepared on time, and I'm all anxious and concerned about that. They get that done whenever they get that done, and then it's like, okay, I'll think about taxes some other time, and then that other time becomes next year's tax return. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to do some strategic thinking around your own tax situation, and that's true whether you're just starting out in your career, or if you're much later, or if you're even if you're retired. Uh, I think all people can benefit some from some intentional action on the tax front.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's so easy to just kind of put it off and think about I'll I'll do it later, but you're right. Preparing for it is, <laughs> is the best thing, you know, especially if you think that you're going to owe money or, you know, you're close or you typically owe money or something like that. Um, what are some ways that people can prepare and just kind of make adjustments through the year?
2: Yeah, so I I think for younger workers, I think, to my mind, I'd have four top priorities. And then we could talk a little bit more about some tactics in terms of making tax season itself better. So the first thing is, if you work for an employer, you should absolutely contribute up to the employer match in your 401k. I say that because one, it's a way to reduce your taxes, but two, it's a way of getting a guaranteed return. So Mm -hmm. Think about if if your employer says, we will match dollar for dollar up to 5% of your salary, or maybe we'll match 50 cents up to 5% of your salary, you would be a fool not to take advantage of that. And unfortunately, in America, there are plenty of people not doing that. And the reason isn't so much a tax reason as it is a financial reason, which is a guaranteed return on your money, right? There's no investment that I or anyone else can guarantee you a return on. But mm-hmm. if your employer is going to make a, a, a match to your 401k or your 403b or your TSP, then you need to be taking advantage of that because that's guaranteed money. The second you put in the first dollar, you get back you know from the employer, 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar, whatever the match percentage is. So I'd say that's the first thing you should do in terms of organizing your tax life. The second would be if a, health, a high deductible health plan makes sense for you, you want to consider a high deductible health plan with the matching health savings account. And Ashley, I don't know if you've talked about that previously with your listeners. Maybe you might want to take a, a, a minute to step back and just explain what a, a, an HSA is and just why it might be so powerful. For your uh, Oh yeah,
0: go ahead. I have not talked about it. Um, I actually have a high deductible plan and an HSA, um, but I'd love to get your perspective on it.
2: Yeah. So what this is, is it's a special kind of insurance that typically has higher deductibles than most people are used to, but there are some trade-offs for that, right? So the deductible mean, means you might have to pay more out of pocket, but if you're young and relatively healthy, that may not be such a bad thing, right? Because mm-hmm. you're essentially calculated risk. And on the other side, you're getting benefits for, for taking that risk. One is the insurance premiums themselves typically are lower. Second is you have the ability to contribute to a tax advantage account called a health savings account. And that account lets you put in for an individual, it's up to 3550 in 2000 or 2020. For a family, it's 7100 in 2020. You can put in 50 every year of tax deductible contributions, which is really cool, right? So you save Mm -hmm. income tax around that. Not only do you save on the income tax around that, if you do it through your workplace withholding, you save on your payroll tax. So your FICA and your Medicare, you save on that stuff as well. So it's a real neat tax saving tool. And then the, the money sits in the HSA, it builds up over time, you can invest it and hopefully grow it that way. And then if you take it out for qualified medical expenses, the money comes out tax and penalty free. So you get a tax deduction on the way in and then the money comes out tax and penalty free. It's the best of both worlds, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like a, a traditional 401k in that you get a deduction up front and then it's like a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k in that you get the money out tax-free. Now you, you have to manage it correctly, right? You can't just take that out for a vacation or things like that. Um, and I also say, make sure if, if you don't have major medical expenses, so if, if the only thing you got in the year is a cold and maybe a sprained ankle, try to not take out from your HSA. So you let the money sit and compound tax-free for many more years. Um, but I, I think if your circumstances warrant using a high deductible plan. The HSA high deductible plan combination is very powerful. Those who might not want to take this path would be people with chronic medical conditions, things like Crohn's and colitis, things that will have predictable high annual medical expenses. Um, these plans are great for the relatively young and the relatively healthy because they're a way of reducing your medical insurance costs while at the same time building tax advantage wealth. And many employers are actually trying to move their employees toward these plans, which is, you know, good and bad. But if you're young, it can be very powerful, partly because the employer will usually make a a contribution to the plan as well. So you're, you're making your own contributions and then the employer might put in 600, 700, a thousand bucks, and that's more tax-free compensation and more tax-free wealth building if you manage it
1: correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had um, at my previous employer, which is a, um, it's city government, uh, we had both options. We could stay on the regular plan, which, you know, cost more per month or go to this and they would give you so much for your HSA. And then uh, my husband's plan, um, previously they had moved to it and then they contributed. But now, they don't, uh, he moved to a different employer and they don't contribute anything. And then they have the high deductible. So actually for like our family, I have three kids. So we meet our deductible every year. And so it costs us quite a bit of money really, but the plan itself is pretty cheap. Like we don't pay that much per month for the plan, but I'm also putting, I have to put in like $500 a month into the HSA just to cover all the medical bills through the year. Like it's, it's a lot.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Ashley, you say you're making this calculation around. Well, okay, yes, we're going to pay more at the doctor's office, but we're going to pay less every pay period for the health insurance premium.
1: Plus, mm-hmm.
2: we're going to get all these tax benefits from funding the health savings account. Right. right? So you're, you're making, you know, it's a trade off, and you know, it, you know. So that's your family, where yeah, you got three kids, and there's a lots a lot of doctor's visits and those sorts of things. But think about your your listeners who are 25 years old, right? who maybe don't have any children, right? And maybe they're very healthy. Why would you pay a whole lot for a gold-plated insurance plan when mm-hmm. you're gonna to go to the doctor, hopefully twice a year, if that, right? Oh so, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think these, these HSAs can make a lot of sense um, for folks in terms of getting their tax life in order and mm-hmm. saving both on income tax and on payroll tax
0: yeah i didn't realize the payroll tax part like i knew we saved just on taxes but i guess i didn't realize that aspect of it (laughs) i'm not big into you know all those fine details
2: (laughs) yeah the one thing about that ashley though is you need to to get the payroll tax saving you need to do it through employer withholding right so if you just say hey i've got this hsa but you know employer don't take any money from my paycheck every two weeks and put it in the hsa And then you get to the end of the year, there's no money in the HSA. What you could do is you could say, well, all right, I, you know, I've got this HSA. I didn't contribute, say for 2019, right? Maybe you didn't contribute, but you were covered by a high deductible plan for the whole year. What you could do is then write a check in early 2020 to your HSA and say, this is for 2019. You would get the income tax deduction on your federal tax return, but you wouldn't get the payroll tax savings.
0: Oh, so okay. If you,
2: if you can do it through your employer withholding, which most employers will facilitate that, right? Through your right. internal HR portal, right? You set that up. Um, it's, a, it's such a powerful tool, especially if you're below, right? If you're below the social security threshold, you're gonna save not only the Medicare tax, which is 1.45% of every paycheck, but also the social security tax, which is 6.2%. You know, a lot of younger workers, they pay more in payroll tax than they pay in income tax. So the HSA can be very powerful for them as a tax planning strategy.
0: Yeah, that's, those are really good ideas. I didn't know about all all those details.
2: So that's why I'm
0: so happy you're here talking to us today. Um, So those are really great options and things to plan. did you have a couple more? I'm trying to think Wait, how many you said you
2: had. <laughs> yeah, so I've got at least four to start and then at least one tactical run one. The third one is the Roth IRA. And I know you've talked with your listeners before about the Roth IRA, but you know, as long as you're making a relatively modest income, the Roth is a very powerful planning tool. And Ashley, I, I remember you talked about the experience you and your husband had a few years ago with a 401k lump. Mm-hmm. right? So, uh to refresh your listener's memory and please correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong but if I'm remembering correctly you and your husband did significant home renovations and you found yourselves cash strapped and so what you did was you said okay well we've got money in a 401k we'll take out a loan from the 401k and yeah sure we'll pay it back and we'll get the house you know built and mm-hmm. taken care of and then we'll repay the loan And then your husband left his job. And so that required you guys to either pay back the loan very quickly or to have the loan show up in your taxable income Mm -hmm. and have it be a blip on your rate, you know, on your one year big slug of taxable income plus a 10% penalty. Right. Right. Um, So let's think about if, what if you guys instead had had a Roth IRA at that time? You know, if you had had a Roth IRA and say you'd borrowed 40,000 of, let's say each of you had a Roth IRA, you had contributed each $5,000 for the four years previous. So you each had 20,000 worth of contributions to that Roth IRA. What you could have done is you could have taken each the 20,000 of contributions out tax and penalty free. And you could have used that for any purpose, you know, under the sun, right? You could have taken a vacation with that. You could have done medical expenses. You could have, you know, rebuilt your house. Whatever you want to do, twenty thousand, you you just withdraw your old contributions. That's it. You don't withdraw the earnings. You now have forty thousand dollars. You can redo the house. Now that's not exactly great tax planning in that you're going to lose the future growth on that. that would have been Mm tax-free. But at least you could have used that money, gotten the house repaired, gotten all those renovations done. And now tax time, there's no income tax hit. There's no penalty. And you walk away from it and you say, well, next time we go through that path, hopefully we'll have money in cash or other taxable investments to pay for it. But at least we don't have this huge penalty and this big slug of taxable income this time right? So I think the Roth IRA is powerful, one, because it's tax-free growth for your retirement, but two, because the contributions that you've previously made could be withdrawn tax and penalty free at any time for any reason. Not to say that that's something you should be planning on doing, withdrawing early, but if you had to, it's a nice life raft where Mm -hmm. you don't incur a tax hit and a penalty hit on top of an already difficult financial situation.
0: Yeah. Cause our taxes, I mean, it was crazy. We should have got back, you know, I think it was around $4,000 and we ended up owing over 6,000. So it was like a 50% hit. <laughs> yes, It was crazy. Cause it, I mean, it just, it cost us a whole lot. And so like, if you, like you said, if you have that other option, then you don't take that big hit.
2: Yeah. So I, I think the Roth IRA is just such a powerful tool for, pretty much all Americans have at least some access. You know, There are some who make too much to make a direct contribution. There's some strategies around that. You can also have a Roth 401k or 403b, Roth TSP. So I think for most Americans and certainly for younger Americans, having Roth accounts is imperative because it just gives you so many more options and opens that door to tax-free growth in the future that's very powerful.
0: And I think a lot of employers are moving to give the option of Roth 401k. Um, But if somebody didn't have that option at their job, like how would they go about opening a Roth? Like could they, you know, sometimes I see um, just, you know, at banks, they have IRA accounts, but those really aren't the same thing, are they?
2: Yeah. So these days to open a Roth IRA is relatively simple. There are plenty of discount brokerages and I'm not recommending any one particular brokerage or financial institution for any of your listeners, but just to list some examples that are commonly uh, cited, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, there are others right? where you can go to their websites or call them up and say, hey, you know i have earned income for whatever year it is and in fact your your listeners if you're listening in january of 2020 you could still make a contribution to a roth ira assuming you qualify in, in before april 15th of 2020 so there's still time in 2020 to do some tax planning for 2019 and the way yet yeah, the way you would do it is you would contact one of these discount brokerages and say you know I want to open up a Roth IRA and their websites are usually pretty user friendly in terms of navigating you through that process. You'll have to link a bank account, right? Cause they all need some source of funds to mm-hmm. get the money, you know, and the contribution limit, if you're under 50 years old in 2019, uh, and 2020 is 6,000, 7,000, if you're over 50, um, you know so you know and, and this is done person by person, right so even in a community property state I live in California, retirement accounts are individual accounts so you know you can do it and then your spouse can also do it too, um, assuming that you between you and your spouse there's enough, enough earned income there uh, for a roth IRA and the thresholds pretty low right It's about twelve thousand dollars if you're under fifty years old um, but assuming b- between you and your spouse you have twelve thousand of earned income you can go to one of these websites and set it up, you know, you link a bank account, the funds come over, and then you invest them, you know, obviously for a younger investor, that's going to probably be, you know, skewed towards a a equity portfolio. Um, Perhaps if you're older, you might want to do it in a um, more conservative portfolio, but you know, the, the brokerages are generally pretty user friendly. You know, some people will critique certain websites, But generally speaking, they're pretty user-friendly in terms of setting up a Roth IRA.
0: Great. And I do have a quick question because I see this in Facebook groups all the time. And your comment about um, having to have a $12,000 earned income. Like I see people in Facebook groups, obviously they're not, you know, (laughs) they're just random people uh, on the internet. So obviously everybody has different opinions, but they'll make comments about, um, putting money in for your child into a Roth IRA or how do you do that? Or can you do that? If they technically don't have any income, can you start a Roth for your child?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Ashley. So the answer is yes. As long as your child is an American with earned income, that's the big key. Okay. Earned income, you can contribute to a Roth IRA for them. So a lot of kids don't have earned income and thus wouldn't be able to do it. Right um, where this comes up a lot is if you know mom or dad has a small business and as long as it's a sole proprietorship or a partnership owned by mom and dad, then theoretically that business could hire you know junior or daughter, and you would then you know pay junior or daughter there's a payroll tax exemption if you do it the way I, I said you did it, and as long as that compensation is reasonable for the activity right so we're talking about relatively low value services, but you know, in most cases you could justify, Hey, you know what? Somebody has got to clean this office Mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, that mom and dad use for their, their trader business. Um, You would then pay them. And based on the tax rules, you, you would not owe payroll taxes on that compensation because they're working for their mom and dad in their mom and dad's trader business. And then they would have, you know, if it's $1,000, 2000 3000 whatever their earnings for the year are, that's the cap, right? So you would say, okay, and, and you, could, you can just gift them that piece of it, right? So you can pay them the $3,000, they then put that in, you know, their savings account or, you know, they do whatever they do with it. And then you could separately then say, oh, well, you had $3,000 worth of earnings, I'll just gift you the other 3000 to actually put in the Roth IRA account. Um, or you just use the earnings that they actually took home. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So this can be a powerful tool. I would say though, you want to be careful because if if you're saying, Hey, you know, my 12 year old has, you know, school and soccer practice and swim practice. And Oh, by the way, my, my 12 year old earned $10,000 this year. Yeah. Like this, <laughs> the IRS might start looking a little scant at that and the issues there can be that they would deny your business the deduction for that compensation. And they might even say, Oh, you made, your child made an excess contribution to your retire to his or her retirement account. So you want to be careful and logical here with this stuff, but it certainly can be, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, a thousand this year and 2000 next year, these aren't big numbers, but if you start stacking them on top of each other, and you give your child, you know, your child's 10 years old and they don't touch that money till they're 60 or 70 years old, all of a sudden it can be quite impactful.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the younger you can start investing, the better because it just has so much time to grow. I mean, it's just crazy <laughs> how the compound exactly interest right. works.
2: That is exactly right. Um, and, and yeah, they will love you if, you know, you put in, you know, four or five, $6,000 over their childhoods. And then that Grows for fifty years, you know, tax free. It can be a very impactful maneuver, and if you can get a business deduction for it because it was reasonable compensation for the tasks that your kids did, you know, all the better.
0: Right. Absolutely. Now, would you recommend doing that as opposed to um, like a ESA or a five twenty nine plan for college?
2: So it depends on the purpose, right? So if the purpose is we want to get our child to a place where they're gonna have a lot of wealth or a relatively high amount of wealth in the future to have flexibility, I tend to like the Roth IRA. If the purpose is I wanna use that money for my child's college education, I would not put it in my child's Roth IRA. And, And there are two reasons for that, right? One, if the money comes out of the child's Roth IRA while they're in college, you know, like I said earlier, it could be a return of their contribution. So there'd be no tax and there'd be no penalty. Well, that's fine. But one, you're going to lose decades of tax-free growth on that money. And then two, for the purpose of the FAFSA form, right? So the form that determines the federal aid, the, the student aid that your kid will get that money that comes out of the Roth IRA goes into what's called the expected family contribution, the EFC.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: So and, and what happens is they say, oh, that's income of the child. Even though it's not taxable income, it's still income of the child. And we expect up to 50% of that income to go into the family's contribution for tuition next year. So you've just created essentially a 50% tax on a Roth IRA. Which is not, you know, not advantageous planning. So if if your goal is look, I just want to fund juniors college education, then I would look at alternatives such as you mentioned the ESA or the 529 plan. The other thing to keep in mind too is we gotta take care of mom and dad, right? Mom and dad are gonna get older by the time the kid is in college. Mm-hmm. And the kid's gonna have a lot of time to repay the student loan, right? So, um, Sometimes there's, there's a real benefit of just investing that money in a taxable account in the parent's own name. And sure, that, that taxable account will generate interest and dividends and capital gain distributions over time. That'll go on the parent's tax return. But now mom and dad have more of a cushion and their financial future is more stable so that when you know, the child is 25, 30, 40, you know, 50, the child doesn't have to worry about mom and dad's finances. As much,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so, you know. So I, I think there's a there's a bit of a balance that needs to be struck there. Um, and before you know, fully committing to a large contribution to your child's college, and oh, you know, five twenty nine that sounds great, or ESA that sounds great. I think you need to step back and say, well, what about mom and dad? How are we doing in our finances? And if it's oh, we're living pay de- paycheck to paycheck, and we've got a big debt, and those sorts of things then maybe you say, well, why don't we focus on mom and dad and pay down debt or whatever we need to do to build up our finances. And then we can think about mom or about junior or daughter and their college educations.
0: So uh, building off of that, would you um, recommend people like if they're already in debt, living paycheck to paycheck, should they still be investing or should they take that money and put it into debt, like paying down debt, like even your company match or your 401k?
2: So I would be hard pressed in most cases to tell folks not to take advantage of the company match. Right. So let's say, cause you know, let, let's think about your debts, even if it's credit card debt. So let's say you've got credit card debt and that's at 19%. So that's a, not a good place to be. And that needs to get paid down, you know, as soon as possible. But let's say you're getting a dollar for dollar match at your company 401k. You know, so essentially every dollar you put into your 401k, you get another dollar back instantaneously. Every dollar you put towards the credit card debt, you're getting 19 cents back, right? Because essentially you don't have to pay down 19% in interest. So what I would tell a a person in that situation is, first of all, you've got to meet your minimums right on your credit card. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, then you've got to get that employer match on your 401k. And then after that, you need to aggressively pay down the debt. And I know, Ashley, you subscribe to the debt snowball. Mm-hmm. We'll say, well, you should look at the mathematics. W- what I would say is what's most important is behavior, right? Right. If, if the debt snowball is going to be that thing that gets your behavior on the right track so that you're aggressively paying down debt, go for it, right? Because um, at the end of the day, we want to get that debt paid off. And if that's gonna be that carrot that for whatever reason gets you particularly to get that pay down, absolutely go for it. Um, but if, you know, if some other people say, no, I've got my spreadsheet here and my spreadsheet says pay down 19% first and 8% second and 3% third. And that's what I'm gonna do. And I'm satisfied with that. Then if that's what works for you, go with that.
0: Exactly. I mean, as long as you're paying down debt, I don't care how you do it. <laughs> as long as you're doing it. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's exactly right. Right. And it's, it's more about behavior than prediction. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think start good habits now, right? Contributing to your 401k to at least get the employer match, doing an HSA if you can, doing a Roth IRA. If you start those habits now, then it's just going to be so much easier in the future to keep doing that and to get the right results. You know, we don't know. No financial planner can come on and say, you know what, the S&P is going to return 8.3% for the next 10 years. Uh, Who knows, right? That's just, we're all just guessing, right? But what we can control today and what we do know today is your behavior today.
1: So Mm -hmm. let's get that
2: behavior right and then go forward. And you know what, the numbers are probably going to work out pretty good if we get the behaviors right
0: you're exactly right and then you'll stay out of debt because i do see a lot of people that try to take shortcuts or they say they paid off debt but really all they did was move it like you know a heloc or refinance their mortgage or you know 401k loan and then they say they paid off their debt but they really didn't they just moved it so whenever you can actually like make those changes you will stay out of debt also and not go back into it
2: that's exactly right ash my fourth point is just save 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 right so you know people will get and this goes back to that uh behavior versus predictions right people get mm-hmm. sort of oh what should i be investing in oh the market's high the market's low there's going to be a crash we're going to have a recession you know what yes the 401k to the employer match absolutely the hsa the roth ira once you're beyond that just start saving right and you could mm-hmm. figure out what you're going to invest in tomorrow Um, But just start saving. The more you save, the more wealth you're going to create, the more you're going to be in good shape. And the other thing about saving is if if you increase the asset side, you're also reducing the expense side, right? So every dollar you save today accustoms you to a little bit lower expenses. And just that, forget the assets for a second, forget the savings. Just building up that I'm getting used to spending less and less on wants, you're gonna become much more used to um, paying less for your wants in the future. So I'll give you an example, right? Say you're 22 years old, you're coming out of college, you got a good finance or tech job, right? Well, I would tell you do not get a BMW for your first car out of college. Because if you get the BMW, then it's gonna be so much harder in your 30s and 40s to cut back to the used Corolla, Mm -hmm. right? But if you start off in your 20s with, I'm going to get a, a used Accord. And then, you know what, in my 30s, well, maybe a slightly better used Accord. And now I feel rich versus, oh, I started off with a BMW and now I'm cutting, you know, it's so much harder to cut back. If anything, you're going to have lifestyle creep because mm-hmm. I'm quote unquote successful. So I would just say, you know, focus on Getting those expenses lower and getting those savings up, and your taxes will be better because investments are generally taxed at a lower rate than earned income, and your finances are going to be so much better, too.
0: That's really good advice. I mean, just keep living like a broke college student and pay off your student debt, and then you can enjoy your money and buy the BMW later if you want, but it's not so much a status symbol, you know, and like you said, lifestyle creep and everything. So, um, you know, just keep saving now and then work toward it in the future. And then that way you can, um, you know, instill those good habits of saving money and investing because that's what's so important.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, Ashley, you'd mentioned about what are those things you could do around tax season, right? To make your tax return a little more or a little less painful, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: A big thing, I think, I think it's two things, right? So one, January and February, be very attentive to your mailbox because you're going to get very important documents, right? You're going to get your form W-2 from your employer. You're going to get these uh, fancy things called forms 1099, right? It might be called a 1099-INT, which is for your interest. It might be called a 1099-DIV for your dividends. It might be called a 1099-B. That's for your capital gains and losses from your financial institutions, right? So you sold you know, 100 shares of Apple stock and there's a gain and you got to report that on your tax return. So January and February, sometimes into March, be very attentive to your mailbox. Just make sure you're collecting that data. These days, you can usually go online and grab those documents too. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so either way, just be very attentive to that. And then during the year, be attentive to your expenses that could possibly be tax deductible. Um, but that said, you know, the landscape's changed a little bit here. Um, so it used to be that there was a relatively low standard deduction, or you could choose to itemize, right? So to take your mortgage interest, your state taxes, your charitable contributions, those sorts of things. Well, there was a tax law change in late 2017, and it significantly increased the standard deduction, right? So for 2019, the standard deduction is 12200 for a single person. 24,400 for a married filing joint couple and they even capped the amount of state and local taxes you can deduct for that purpose to 10,000 per tax return. So think about if you live say in Texas, right, and you so you have no income state income tax and say you have a relatively modest home and so you're paying I don't know, say 8000 in mortgage interest. That might not be all that much of a home in Texas, but just say 8000
1: mm-hmm. Well,
2: That means in order to deduct uh, itemized deductions, you, and, and say you're married, you and your husband at that point would need over $16,000 worth of charitable contributions in order to do the itemized deductions. Otherwise, you and your husband are just going to take the standard deduction. So if you think, well, oh, yeah, we easily donate $20,000 a year, then yes, throughout the year, take good notes of all your charitable contributions, do an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Doc or a Google Sheets, you know, uh, file and just track all your charitable contributions. And then you should get a receipt from the charity in most cases. Um, that's a really effective way of, of handling that. But you might say, you know, yeah, we, we contribute $10,000 to charity every year and we have low mortgage interest and no state income taxes. And we're married. We're not going to be anywhere near that twenty-four thousand. Well, then there's not a whole lot to track, right? Mm-hmm. You'll get your, your W two and your ten ninety nine and those things in, you know, during the year or in January and February, and then you just use those and you use the standard deduction. The exception to what I just said is business owners, right? So if you're a business owner, even if it's a small business, that's a very different situation, right? If you have a small side hustle, you might be able to get away with tracking your expenses in Microsoft Excel. But the second you have a significant business, you probably need some sort of accounting software to track those throughout the year so that you can, you know, report your business income on your tax return.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Um, Now, what about like, do you recommend people get a big tax return or would you recommend adjusting your withholdings throughout the year so that you get a smaller tax return?
2: Yeah. So I generally recommend adjusting your withholdings if you can, right? So, um, and this is a great time of year to think about that. And, you know, what I would do is, yeah, do your 2019 tax return and see where you came out. And if you wind up with a large refund, what you've done is you've given the government an interest-free loan. And that's not an optimal path, right? Because the government had use of that money. You could have had that money and earned interest, or invested it earlier and earned more investment returns. So what you could do, the the IRS actually has a pretty good online calculator around that. Mm-hmm. And that would be my first um, stop. Is I would Google IRS W four withholding calculator. It's IRS W four withholding calculator. And the software, you know, the IRS software will ask you some questions and it's, it's a pretty good calculator. And what it'll do is it'll say, okay, through 2020, thus far, you've made this much and you've had this much withheld and here's what your withholdings are right now. And it'll tell you, okay, this is what you should do to um, make sure you're having the right amount withheld every year. Um, Yeah, the withholding, structure is a very sort of screwy structure
0: yeah it's, it can be so confusing
2: <laughs> and so some people wind up with very large refunds and then other people wind up owing a whole lot of money and this was exacerbated by the tax law change mm-hmm. so you had people who generally would get a small refund all of a sudden owing a lot of tax that, that was particularly true of married people in high tax states like my own california Um, where their tax profiles very much changed and the withholding tables changed, but not enough to account for that. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I think the best thing, I I think the two, two action steps there are one, see what your 2019 refund looked like, or if you owed a lot in 2019. And then two, you may want to use the IRS withholding calculator um, it's certainly not perfect, but it's a good start. And then if you're in a situation where, wow, we owed all these penalties and we got you know, this horrible result, then you might want to consult with a tax professional, somebody like me.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, do you recommend that people like just your average family contact a CPA or do you think that that's more like if it gets complicated?
2: I think it depends, right? So There Obviously, there are thousands of tax return preparers out there. And to my mind, there's sort of two things that they're doing for you. One is literally the time and expense of doing their tax return. So if if you've got, you know, three kids, and you and your husband have jobs, and one of you has a side hustle, and you're just busy, it may be worth your while to offload that work to a paid professional, even if your return isn't all that complicated. Um, but then second is the judgment, right? So um, there are times where you're going to need a professional's judgment. And and that often deals with things like businesses, right? So if you have a small business or a side hustle, if you're setting up a small business retirement plan, I think that's a big one where you may need professional assistance. Um, so, you know, different people are different ways in terms of just how how painful that tax return exercise is right? Mm-hmm. If you've got some engineers in your audience, they might be like, well, we love playing with spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> <Doing> <laughs> <True. turbotacks laughs> easier than what we do at work every day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll knock this out while watching a football game, right? Well, okay, fine. If, if you know what you're doing and you're using a good commercially available software, fine. I, I think that actually it's, it's hard to give a one size fits all. I mm-hmm. think I will say this though, for your listeners, there are certain times where you should reach out to a tax professional and, you know, this will vary for folks, but sort of what I'll call indicia of, hey, this is a situation where I should reach out to a tax pro. I'd say if I'm starting a business, mm-hmm. if you're starting a retirement plan for a business, right, like a solo 401k or something like that, or you think you should, that would be a good time to reach out to a tax return professional. And the other time would be if I ever received an IRS notice
1: saying, Yes.
2: Hey, <laughs> I owe a lot of money, or it could be your state, you know, uh taxing authority. If you receive a note, so they're gonna be sort of two sorts of notices, right? One is gonna be you get a notice from the IRS and it says you owe us 25 or you know, 20 more dollars in tax because there was a 67 dollar dividend on a 1099 DIV that you didn't report. And that might be just one of those that got lost in the mail, it got lost in your home office, whatever. If that happens and you think, yeah, they're right, I owe, you know, I got that $70 dividend and I owe some tax on it. Fine. You know, write the check and move on. That probably doesn't need a professional's assistance. But if you get a IRS notice saying you owe us $3,000 in tax, I think at that point, you need to reach out. In most cases, you absolutely need to reach out because one, you got to make sure, you know, the IRS can be wrong on these things. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure, you know, before you cut that $3,000 check, you ought to ask somebody. And then two, even if the IRS is correct, then there's something wrong in your process. And you now have $3,000 worth of indication that there's something off in what you did. And that needs to be corrected. So, you know, I think, I think those are situations... And again, this can't be comprehensive, and we only have so long to chat. Yeah, those are sort of, I think, three situations where you'd really want to think about reaching out to a tax pro.
0: Absolutely. Um, Now, do you have any last words of
2: wisdom? Last words of wisdom. I would say um, a point I made earlier is focus on your behavior, and the numbers will work out, right? So don't get obsessed of oh we got to run a million different numbers and i need 8.25% return or you know don't be obsessed with that do what football teams do right so get your blocking and tackling right and eventually the wins start stacking up right so do do the you know pay down your debt avoid debt reduce your expenses get your employer match in your 401k get your roth ira set up start saving and investing you know, and those things will make your taxes much better and they'll make your finances much better.
0: Absolutely. Now I do like to ask people um, at the end of every episode what their favorite nonfiction book is. Do you have any that you would recommend?
2: Yeah, and I'm going to do some of your previous guests have cheated a little bit. So I'll give you <laughs> a, a, a multiple answer. So the first one is obviously the Bible, right? So Um, that lays the predicate for all that we do on this earth, hopefully.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So the Bible would be number one. And then in terms of financial books, I think there are two chestnuts that uh, I strongly recommend to the listeners. One would be The Millionaire Next Door, which is Dr. Stanley and Danko, I believe the author's names are.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: that came out in the 90s. And that just goes over the mindset of most of the truly wealthy in this country uh, again, it's the millionaire next door, just a, a classic in personal finance. And then the second one is a, a more recent book. It's called the simple path to wealth. It's by JL Collins. And the cool thing about this book is it started out as a series of blog posts. So the author was thinking about his daughter who was about to go to college. And he does these blog posts, which are essentially just short letters to his daughter about saving, investing, managing your taxes, managing your finances. And what he said was, Oh, you know, I've got a, you know, dozens of these letters. Now I could make that into a book. And so that's what the simple path of wealth to wealth is. It's a book that is based on these blog posts and it's written in a way that's not targeted for somebody who's financially sophisticated. Um, that said, I think everybody can get something out of it, but it's done in a very relatable way. And if you read only those two books, you would be well on your way to a very good financial future.
0: I have heard of The Simple Path to Wealth, but I didn't I didn't know the backstory. I hadn't heard that. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah, isn't that a, it's a neat, it's a neat way of writing a book, right? Yeah. A book, you've got this other material that you then translate into a book. And because of what it was originally intended for, I think that gives the book so much power.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure it's, it's, a lot, it's easy for us to read it if he wrote it for you know, his daughter going out to college. So it's not you know uh, complicated.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> All right. Now, before we go, where can people find you?
2: Okay. So you can find me three different places. One would be my firm website, which is Mullaneyfinancial.com. You can find me on my blog, which is fi-taxguy.com. I, I blog on the intersection of tax and financial independence. So that's FITaxGuy.com. And lastly, on Twitter, I'm at SeanMoneyAndTax. Um, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on YouTube. Maybe one day, but those are the three main places you can, get, you can find me.
0: Yeah, you should try YouTube (laughs) or Instagram. I've just started learning Instagram and it's a lot of fun.
2: It's something I got to get to, but um, for now, those are the three portals I'm trying to to optimize.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here and talking to us about taxes and making it interesting and (laughs) making tax not boring.
2: (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. It was a pleasure speaking with you today.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much to Sean for being with us today and don't forget to go check out the seven day budget challenge before it gets its revamp and the price increases at the end of the month. So go to budgetsmadeeasy.com budget dash challenge to get it at the lowest price that it's going to be. I will talk to you guys next week.